Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Property Roundup here on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. I'm delighted to be joined for the first time in 2024 by my co-host Emmett Creighton, Client Partnership Director with Daft.ie. And today we're coming to you from the offices of I Am Sold Bidding Platform in Galway with Director Patrick Folan and Property Consultant Kevin Hassett. You're very welcome all. Thank you so much. And thank you for allowing us into your office. Um, of course, Patrick, you're a, a regular on our show, so people will be well familiar with you. So we're delighted to be able to join you here in Galway. Um, thank you for, for uh, allowing us in. But the last time we spoke, we were just talking about really uh, Q4 of 2023 was an interesting one in terms of the auction market and some of the trends you were seeing. Now that we're into 2024, you have your data looking back over the last 12 months. Were we right to be optimistic? It's been a challenging but good market. Um, our challenges have been stock, same as everyone. Although, thankfully, um, last year we held just about steady all year round. Um, and that was steady versus the end of 2022 as well. So we found stock, even though stock in the market has been challenging, um, down, I think, over 20% last year, around 20%. We were roughly the same, uh, up slightly, about 5% up. Um, so stock held firm, but what was more interesting then off the back of that was sales were up 24, no, 26%, I think it was, um, and inquiries were up 34%. So the same stock levels was getting a third more inquiries and selling a, you know, a quarter quicker than they, than they had been the previous year. So good market, good year for us. Um, we made a lot of changes internally in terms of time frames to get legal packs in and I suppose improvements on that side. So um, one of the bigger stats we look at now, which most maybe companies don't look at, is the time it takes us to get a legal pack. So it's under 21 days. I think it's 20.8 days Still to get a legal pack in. Um, that's a big challenge within the market as well, the time it takes. So I suppose we focus on that. So overall, our time to transact a property is under three months. Um, so if we get the, I suppose, property live today in around three months' time, it should be keys handed over. Um, and that's a big challenge in the market as well. Stock is one challenge, and then the time it takes. So we're trying to uh, work within the, within the industry, I suppose, to improve both of those for ourselves and the, and the agents we work with, and also then the, 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 the vendors who use the platform to give them a faster route to, to sale. Can I ask you a quick question? And now, our listeners will know I'm a solicitor by profession, so I've worked within this industry, but what's your secret for getting solicitors to get that legal pack together? Like, how are you making that happen? Like, from a solicitor's perspective, I have had agents come to me and get it together i've had really good bosses who were like let's get on this as soon as we understand that the client's selling a house and often i've been in a case where i wouldn't know the house is for sale until the sale agreed notice comes through the door and says we're selling this property off you go so like how do you do that because i know some of our listeners the estate agents will be like i'd love to know how i put a fire under some of the solicitors to get this thing moving along sure how do you guys do it? there's no magic sauce or one one solution but i suppose first and foremost because it's auction <laughs> we need the legal pack. We need to have um, a legal pack in order to sell the property. So first of all, so solicitors understand that and that's a big step in the right direction. But we also have a team of people who work with the vendors, the agents and the solicitors to get the legal pack and that's their sole role. Get the legal pack in as quick as you can and we'll put that in a in a overall data, data sheet and we'll know at the end of it all how long it's taking us per property or an average per property. Um, so we work with them in terms of quite often every, every property we deal with will have something There'll be a 
search of compliance is missing, there'll be a boundary, there'll be uh, fire A's in an apartment block, there'll be commercial buildings with different bits and pieces. And we try to work through what are those bits and pieces that aren't currently available to us and and that might be organising the local engineer to come out and, and, and remap the property. Um, so we're very involved in the, the steps that need to be taken. We don't prepare the packs ourselves, but we try to make sure that the right steps have been taken to get the legal pack in as quick as possible time. Um, and that's, that's liaising with vendors, age, our partner agents that, that, that are selling the property with us, and uh, obviously the vendor solicitor as well. So that's a step one, is the uh, actual preparation of the legal pack. And as I say, we've honed in over the years where we can help there and, and you know how to best work with solicitors it's not always you know while we want the legal pack you know we have to work within a remit of what so the, you're a resource that both the solicitors the vendor and the agent can use to say look what's mm -hmm. the how do we answer this question where do we go next yeah or, or even more so trying to find out what is the question yeah where is the hold up what okay. is what are we, we we try to figure out what are we actually waiting on because that's often the, the 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 real question not not what we have it's what 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 we need now and and usually it's it's some document or some bit of follow up that's needed and is that ha is that happening ha okay we need an engineer to remap who's the engineer and when are they going out and we might pick up the phone if if we don't have a clear confirmation on when that timing will be so we'll just try to keep the thing taking over that we're making small steps in the right direction every day to get you know the legal pack in on you know a couple of hundred properties um so it's it's uh it's it's working with the different parties just to try to make sure the right things are happening to get the legal pack in that's step one obviously you still need to go and sell the property then and uh and and work you know there's different work that goes on there so generally then um it gets taken over by the salesperson so our legal team will work with the, the, the solicitors to get the legal pack in and then once the legal pack is in, we're selling the property, our sales team will work with the partner agent. So we work with over 300 partner agents. There are, I suppose, they're, they're the, the, the core of our business and we support them, I suppose. And part of that support is one, once there's a property live, we'll work with the buyers to get their solicitor to review that legal pack to get queries raised and we liaise with the, both sets of solicitors then, both the buyer and the vendor solicitor to get the follow-up needed to, to actually get those queries answered. Um, so that's another big part of it is, is the, the work that goes on with um, all parties in the sales process, I suppose. Um, so it's twofold, I suppose, the legal pack initially and then trying to get the buyers happy with that legal pack so that they'll bid on the property. And I suppose we jump from the legal pack to getting it sold, but the part in the middle, how do you track How does how do you do that? So, obviously, once it goes live, it goes into all of the partner agents' advertising and all of our advertising. So, what that looks like is obviously daft.ie is is, uh, is the biggest search engine. So, we'll use them. Um, we advertise in different newspapers around the country. We advertise in Right Move in the UK. We advertise in Property Pal in the North. We're in the North the last four years as well. So, we're involved in that market. Um, so, it's 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 quite large as well as marketing. Um, so, the property platforms plus in Ireland, UK, Northern Ireland plus some newspapers on top of that as well. And the marketing fee for that, is that? We don't charge anything up front, actually. Okay. Um, that's the big USB with us. Um, so we run these marketing campaigns anyways. So whether X or Y property is in there or not, we'll actually be doing campaigns around uh, the auctions and around the properties that we have live. So we don't charge anything for the marketing. Um, the agents we work with quite often will have a few hundred euro of a professional photography and you know whatever other bits and pieces they're doing marketing-wise, and that's... That's them. If they're using our platform, we don't we don't charge anything at all, and that's quite an attractive option, both for the partner agents and the vendors, that they can access this 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 process. I suppose that will give them more exposure, that will be faster, that will be more secure. 
at no upfront cost, I suppose. Yeah, because you'd imagine the more they spend marketing their property, the more interest it'll generate, the more inquiries it'll get, and the more it'll go into the auction. Would that be fair to say? Like, the more the vendor comes to you guys and the agent, you're both doing these marketing campaigns, yeah. that'll generate extra interest than, let's say, the, you know, the standard, just putting it out there and hoping somebody comes along. Yeah, and I think we know the bulk of the interest is going to come through the online portals. So that's mm. the, the DAFs and, and the other portals that are out there. Um, then what we do is slightly different. We tend to attract an audience that mightn't have been looking at Galway, Lochray. They might be looking at the west of Ireland. Mm. Or Carol, maybe you're looking to buy in the west of Ireland and you've seen something lovely in Clifton or you know, somewhere that maybe you weren't specific about your location. We, we tend to find more that type of buyer where they weren't looking at that specific location. Because if they were, they'll probably have found it on the property portals. They'll probably, I'm looking for an estate house in this town. You'll see it. They'll find it. It's the one that wasn't specific on where they were looking at. But maybe a, we sell out the country houses and, and maybe they, someone sees a nice country cottage or a, or a, a big period property in County Cavan. Mm. Think, you know what? That, that, you know, I want to get out of the city. I want somewhere different. I want that that country. It's, it really sounds like they could benefit from that extra marketing then to, to uh, attract the likes of Carol with all her money to oh, buy these country <laughs> yeah. I would definitely be more Carol than Clifton. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it is an interesting dynamic because actually, then what that's telling me are these open, or oh, um, these are home buyers who are not tied to any particular location, or do you have a breakdown, say, in terms of investors? Yeah, so investors are a different ballgame then. So when you're dealing with an investor, um, they look at quite a lot of locations, sometimes regional to them. If they're in Dublin, they'll want Dublin or surrounds. If they're in Cork, they'll want Cork or surrounds. But, or sometimes they don't mind, actually. Sometimes investors would buy anywhere. But what we find is we would sell a lot of investment properties and we'd have a big investor database. Our database has around 70,000 people on it, or investors on it. Um, not all investors, I should say. Some would be home, home buyers as well, but lots of them would be investors. Ones who register for multiple properties, they tend to be more the investors. Yeah. And um, we see multiple. We see we see them buying multiple times through the platform. So the repeat buyers. And I, the reason I'm curious about that is on every show when I speak to estate agents, um, and we're always trying to understand the dynamics at play in the in the local markets and trying to understand the nuances of the local markets. And, and every single estate agent in the last year or two years, I've asked about buy to let investors. And all well, the, I think the only exception was possibly Harry Southern and Carlo. Almost everybody else had not seen, they had seen negligible number of buy to let investors coming in. And this raises the question, is that because they're not going to the local estate agents and they're buying through I am sold? I think there's a lot going on with the rental sector. Um, there's certain areas that <coughs> there'll be less and less people buying investment properties because they're scared of the regulation. They're, they're maybe, they're, maybe they had one investment property and it was, you know, it is difficult being a landlord now. You're curbed in terms of what you can charge. You're, you're, you have to register once a year. You have to abide by laws that are changing. I've seen a stat, I don't know who, who I think it was on your show, Carol. Someone said several hundred changes of, of rules since, since the RTB started. Um, so it's hard to follow and keep up to date with the, the rental sector. Therefore, lots of smaller landlords are not accessing the market, are not buying another investment property, and they're selling up, in fact. Um, so the investors we're seeing are more so the investor that's a bit shrewder, is in the market, has a few investment properties, and, and maybe it's their sole income, possibly, or, or, or you know a big part of their income. Yeah. And they might be buying, yeah, twos, threes, fours, fives over a certain number of years. 
a lot of the say we deal with a lot of the pre-63s in Dublin um, and when I say we it's always a partner agent using the platform but we would see the same clientele over and over again or certainly if you have one today in January and you, you sell it in February and then in March you take on a loan the list will be largely very similar uh, and, and those guys will repeat repeat buy and look for that type of stock um, we are seeing we are seeing yeah more investors probably looking to us than, than, than ever in that they're more used to us they've seen the process and and in fact because it's faster they know they're getting a legal pack up front they're they're savvy enough that probably what happens is they'll review that legal pack themselves before getting their solicitor involved and they'll they'll try to ascertain are they happy with the legal pack before actually spending money on the solicitor side of things and then once they're happy then they'll say yeah it seems to be clean enough maybe they'll go and view it maybe they'll do a bit yeah. more homework into it and then they'll bring their solicitor in to make sure that they've missed nothing in the pack so yeah they're used to dealing with us they're they're happy with the process that it's a cleaner process that they'll actually be able to ascertain at a very early stage whether they're reasonably comfortable with the legal side of the property which if it was private treaty they wouldn't they'd, they'd, they'd go and they'd bid on the property they'd get their solicitor involved then they get a legal pack some months later and then they'd actually find out whether it's it's, um, it's one for them or not. Patrick, do you think I am sold or benefiting? You talk there repeatedly about a cleaner process and the reality is we haven't been good at uh, tidying up and speeding up conveyancing in Ireland and we know that's changing with IPAP championing um, the new seller's legal pack and so we know that's going to reduce time but right now that's still in build stage so we're encouraging uh, estate agents up and down the country to adopt this as best practice. So do you think there has been perhaps a benefit um, that I am sold has seen that being able to offer this clean transaction? Because one of the uh, one, the reason I'm asking the question is you gave me a stat the last time we spoke that blew my mind and it was the percentage of your transactions that close outside of the auction process. Yeah. For so 2023, do you have the stats? Yeah, 52% I think it was in the end. Um, so just over half of properties sell before they go to auction so that means someone it, the auction date might be in March yeah. or February and but someone wants to buy it today they'll put in their bid on the platform to buy it today buy it now under auction terms and if the vendors are happy to accept that then it's sold um, and it, does that surprise you to hear that stat I, 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 I'm seeing more and more with the online bidding and, and that sort of thing. people are looking to it to not necessarily to find a bargain, but like you said, circumnavigate the kind of the inexperienced buyer who might drag the process out, or even more so the inexperienced vendor. Who yeah. says, I'll give it to an estate agent, and the estate agent will get it sold, and then I'll think about appointing a solicitor to start getting the title deeds back from a bank, which could take weeks and months, as we all know. So, like that, I'm seeing that, and I've seen it for years. You know, savvy people are like, mm, How can I get around this? Just like you said, circumnavigating the process. And are, Patrick, are you seeing more, like you said, your stock levels have kind of remained flat, even though the market has dropped almost 20% from last year. Yeah. Are you seeing that's there's more an adoption of auctioning properties, more so than by treaty? Is that what's keeping you guys growing? In a yeah, well, I, I suppose it has to be, doesn't it? Um, mm. if, we're, if we're outperforming the market, it means that more agents are using the platform for more properties. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. I, I think one of the things actually, and sorry to cut across you, is... When I speak to agents, is they need the stock moving through their system. If they get a property for sale from a vendor and it sits there for any number of months, there's a certain point where you start to lose money. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have, a, they have a flat fee. We know fees have been falling for years and years, and we've brought it up before. But if a property stays there, you have to deal with inquiries, refresh the marketing, deal with the vendor, and at a certain point, it becomes a lost leader. So it, you can see it makes sense. 
Um, yeah. I think there's an awareness piece kicks in as well. And just because you mentioned fees, I always feel like I'm the least biased people. So I get, uh, I, I'm in the least biased position. I get to say estate agency fees are too low. I say that not being in state agency, having never been in the state agency, but actually it is damaging to the industry that we've allowed that creep to the bottom. But that's, no, we've, I agree. we've done numerous but no, shows I agree. on that, but I, I always feel no, it, I, it's so important that we make I, the I point think each time. We, we touched on it earlier on the marketing side of things. You said the agent might have a couple of hundred quid for drone photography, for a signboard. There's very little left there to market the property. Yeah. And you find the more well-heeled vendor who's selling the country estate, which you'd be yeah. interested in, they'll put thousands into marketing. They will, because they know by marketing the property effectively, you'll attract more buyers. Like yeah. I am sold attracting um, somebody that wants to buy in the west of Ireland, you know, a premier property. Like having that extra bit of marketing does help. And estate agents are really, they're cut to the bone on this sort of stuff at the moment. But look, there's an education piece that has been happening over the last decade as well. So from the first time, probably five, six years ago, we sat down to talk about I am sold. There's two bits of education that's happened. First, the estate agent no longer sees you as a competitor or a threat, which they definitely did in the early days, where it's now it's very clear you are another resource, another tool to be used. But also, buyers have become increasingly sophisticated, not just in terms of technology, but actually in the certainty to be able to proceed in the organisation around having their finance in place. I think we're dealing with a different type of buyer than we were five years ago. Yeah, Is that yeah. accurate to say? The buyers are more educated than they've ever been, but that's because they have the resources to be that as well. Mm -hmm. That the registered property price research gives them a certain element. But online, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of info on the value of properties, but also the processes and also the challenges within property. So so you're right. I think buyers, when we can tell them we have a legal pack up front, we have you know consent to sell at a at a, at a reserve price. Um, that's not you know pie in the sky. It's a realistic price. This is a serious vendor. And this can actually be bought. You could be in, in, this is January, February, March, April. You could have the keys in April. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, that really comes back to your USP, really. It's speed yeah. for both the vendor and the purchaser. Yeah. They come to IMSOL to, buy, to sell or buy a property. You have a partner agent who listens to you. You know you can get it done in three months. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I suppose the, edu money the education piece that Cara mentioned as well is, is twofold with the agent and the vendor as well. Because obviously, we're a platform that agents use. I suppose they've grown in their confidence of the process maybe and their experience of us and therefore are better able to educate the vendor on actually this is the process that could work for you. So that education piece I think is is something that has happened in the last few years which is why we're seeing a bit more stock on the platform than maybe the market the market yeah. norm. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's largely around that, that, that understanding and knowledge culture, of it. A culture piece as well though. I mean I, I think I, I am sold like so many of the prop tech um, innovation that we've seen it just shows that it's not just about the best solution. It's not about um, speeding up the process alone. You have to bring the market along with you. And, and that's the market on both sides of supply and demand that you have. There is an education piece that helps to change the culture. And I think, you know, in a way, maybe uh, when we started talking about PropTech back in 16, 2016, 2017, we maybe underestimated the culture change that had to happen. Mm -hmm. And... To be fair, I, I feel like I've been having conversations um, with you and Patrick with you I, on this particular topic. So I'm really curious about the next generation. So, Kevin, you've been you've been very silent as this conversation is going on, but I'm yeah. very aware that actually what we need to do is harness the next generation of talent coming in. And you absolutely represent that. So you might just tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks, Carol. Yeah, I suppose just I had an interesting transition into this industry in regards to 
my background came from organic farming quite throughout my 20s. It would have been organic farming. I actually got my first job in sales in 2019, working door-to-door selling electricity. So I did it for two years. I suppose an interesting experience initially. First few doors, first few weeks were a bit scary, but eventually get beyond actually being able to talk to strangers and develop the actual skill process of how to get a sale. So from there, I suppose, when COVID hit, I couldn't work on the doors anymore. It wasn't possible. And that's when I went and I found got the opportunity for the apprenticeship here with I Am Sold. Well, so, talk to us a little bit about what the apprenticeship model is, because that's still relatively new in Ireland. So there'll be people yeah. listening in, you know, who came uh, by more traditional routes and still some who came by the what we would call the sitting by Nelly approach, who mm. came in that were legacy maybe into intergenerational farms. But talk to us a little bit about the what made you think, because organic farming into a state agency seems like a really big leap, even with that transition. Mm. What was it that made you look at the apprenticeship programme and think, yeah, that's something I could tackle? I suppose it was an interesting one in that I was going to houses every day in terms of door-to-door sales. That's kind of where I got the interest in houses. You know, I suppose in sales, you're always looking to progress to the next level. And for me, from being on the doors, actually having the opportunity to sell a house was probably something that really appealed to me. So when I seen the apprenticeship online and come up, I applied for it and... I suppose it was a great experience from the point of view of actually having in-office experience here, dealing with customers, dealing with you know vendors, solicitors. So take us through your week in terms of learning and then in the office knowledge. Yeah, I suppose it was a day a week in college for me in Athen Rye in the GRTB. So I had the balance of, let's say, college and four days in the office. And I suppose you're learning the theory in college on Wednesday. We used to go to college on a Wednesday. Um, and you're applying it into your practical work here. So you're getting the experience of day-to-day learning in property and then being able to see how the theory applies to it. Fantastic. And I shouldn't be surprised that you landed in I Am Sold because obviously, Patrick, and from previous conversations we have, you're a huge advocate, more than an advocate, for the apprenticeship programme. So just you might just give people listening in an overview because I think... This is a really exciting industry, and as it's become increasingly regulated, maybe people feel that there are barriers to entry. So, how can we, how can we, uh, as an industry together, actually make this more attractive for the next generation coming in? Yeah, so it, w- it was brilliant to see the apprenticeship course being be launched. Uh, Two thousand eighteen, they launched it in Dublin, following your Cork and the following your Galway. Um, the background, or my 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 background, would have been a course in GMIT. About 20 years ago when when i did the, the three-year diploma um and shortly after that or a few years after that they, they, they stopped the course completely because demand dried up in covid or sorry not in covid in, in the recession and um and uh we then introduced regulation which meant you needed a license to work on property so from from going to having courses around the country to no courses and then in and around the same time was actually you need the course to, to, to work in property so it was a real industry problem that was going to cause a big problem if it wasn't solved so there were some options IPAV have a, have a, have a course SESI have a course but they were limited and I know IPAV is in Tallinn Dublin and that's a very good course but for someone in Galway it wasn't really that that, that practical um, but, um, but then they, they launched the apprenticeship course which was a really good fit for the needs of the industry so 
um, one day a week in the course. Lots of coursework, lots of projects, and it's something actually has, has been involved in the, the steering group for, 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 the, for the course. Um, we've tried to manage because it was actually quite a heavy workload on a lot of the students. I know, Kevin, when you got involved in it, it had been reduced a little bit. I think the year prior to that, it, it was, certainly would have been, it was, yeah. it was heavier again. Um, yeah. But, um, but so, so introduced the, the, the course um, four days a week in the office. That's a brilliant learning process of being in your course doing lots of projects on on the industry and i know you've done marketing and building and law and valuation so getting a, a an understanding of it in the core in the course but then actually seeing it in practice in the office um brilliant entry into the market and uh, into the property industry and what we've seen was in the earlier years there was lots of people within the industry um who maybe wanted to get licensed but didn't have a maybe a good route to, to do that they, they got on board in the apprenticeship and lots of those got qualified now a lot of them are qualified and now we're seeing lots of school leavers where we're seeing the age cohort has changed massively um so i i think the biggest cohort of people is now around the 20 to 30 bracket and the next two is below 20 and then and similarly to yeah. 20, 30 to 40 that wasn't the case at the very very beginning i think the largest cohort was 30 to 40 and it was quite a lot of 50s plus as well do you think that was representative of people who had actually been working in the industry and so. just looking to yeah. progress? Yeah, and we've seen that ourselves with businesses we would work with, obviously, that someone in their office would have actually liked to become licensed to do more within just, the, the, the yeah, business. Yeah, and it gives you that legitimacy when you have people coming through the door. And and I, I'd like to dig into the apprenticeship just a little bit with you, Kevin. Yeah. The, the working in the office, like you said, Patrick, it gives you those, and you say soft skills, but they're very difficult, like the confidence and you know working in, in a professional environment and treating your clients with respect all that type of stuff you can have somebody very bookish and they can get in and they can ace all the exams but that sort of stuff comes really difficult to them yeah and do you feel that helped absolutely i suppose initially just talking on the phone learning how to talk professionally you know that's a big experience in mm -hmm. itself i had the fortune i suppose that door to door had given me a good foundation but when you're selling a high value asset you know the confidence yeah. level to do that effectively in terms and dealing of with the professions, exactly dealing with the estate agency industry, which are partner agents, solicitors, surveyors, all of the people involved in the transaction can be quite intimidating for anyone who's bought or sold a house. Yeah, so, yeah. And doing it on a professional level for your first time can be very daunting. So I think that part of in the office, I think that's yeah. it, all the best apprenticeships have a level of uh, work experience built into them. They really do. How closely connected and I, I'm conscious that your boss is sitting to your left there yeah. but um, in terms of what you were learning on the Wednesday and then yeah. coming back to the office on the Thursday how practical is the course how much does it prepare you for genuinely walking into an office I suppose it gives you a, a foundation you can't really beat real world experience mm -hmm. that's the one thing I will say um, I suppose from the office itself it's day to day you get the skill set re repetition over time and in dealing with, as you say, solicitors, different professions, and eventually you build up the confidence that you're able to deal effectively with them over time. So the course does itself help, but you really can't beat the real-world experience. What, was, it, was it a little easier for you than maybe some of your younger colleagues who hadn't had a profession before or hadn't cut their teeth in probably most you know, daunting sales job there is calling door-to-door? -door, I suppose it would have been. I would have had kind of a benefit in terms of that, in my door-to-door -door training, I would have trained others as to how the sales process worked. So to transition into this industry, you know, it just 
it was a matter of learning the ropes really and how the process works, as you say, from just dealing with engineers and getting legals together and queries and dealing with viewings and whatnot. So it was just learning that skill set. But certainly, I suppose, in comparison, a lot of my classmates would have probably been in property management. Mm. Um, we had a few people that were in sales also. So, you know, I would have kind of learned from them also their experience dealing with just property management and lettings. Interesting. Yeah, which is its own industry in its own right. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's very useful for you being on the steering committee for this to hear firsthand and say, that's completely useless, that doesn't work. Why are we doing that? Yeah, yeah, and I suppose we have to be conscious. So obviously, we're in the sales business, but within the course, they need to accommodate all all the different licenses, A, B, C, and D. Um, but I will say, I've got some really good feedback from Kevin and from from some other the princes that um, that has been implemented in the course, such as too many projects. That was something that kind of mm-hmm. came from us and, and other people as well that there was feedback, and that's been nice to see that. The feedback. So we've a really good group in the steering committee. We've um, Maeve Hogan, we've Pat David, we've 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 got some really good voices within the, within the industry, and then lots of representatives from employers um, and course coordinators as well. So we we get together, we have a Zoom conversation generally these days. Um, we we talk about how the course is going, what the feedback is, and what 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 changes we can make off the back of that feedback. So that's been something that's been really satisfying to to see those conversations come to actually real change for. Just 250 students, or, or a little more than that, now going through first and second year between the three centres. That that's making a real change to their, you know, to their lives and improving the quality of what is a very important course within the industry. Fantastic! I'm delighted that you brought up about the different licences because mm. actually uh, we're going to be doing a show in about two months' time with IPAB around um, the buyers' agency in Ireland and why that isn't used more. I mean, there's it's provided for under the licence. It's clear that buyers want more support and in some cases are willing to pay and are in a position to pay for it. And yet it's something that could be a lifeline for rural estate agents where there's no pipeline of new homes. And in terms of second-hand homes, um, the, the marketplace is quite slow at the moment. So it could really be a lifeline for rural agents and they're not using it. So Kevin, in terms of the course that you were on, are there many people who would have trained with you that are even exploring the route of buyer's agency or anything outside of the traditional sales and letting? I suppose there are a couple. Uh, one of my um, classmates I spoke to recently is actually working in Dublin now for housing needs. Um, she was in property management previously. So I suppose from the people that I graduated with, there's a few of them that have traditionally stuck with sales and just property management, but a few of them certainly would probably go down that avenue, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah it just absolutely. it seems like a really underused uh, mm. and, and unexplored by the agents, and it could be something that could be a, a real lifeline. Um, Kevin, tell me, what surprised you the most? Coming from organic farming, and you're absolutely right, I'll be more doing the reverse uh, to what, what you're doing, <laughs> Kevin, but yeah. coming from that and the background that you have, what surprised you most when you started to work with property? I suppose the, the difference is how busy things can get, which is great. You know, it's great to be busy. Um, I suppose when you're working on the farm, it's just you have your task for the day and that's done. But with property, you know, there's tasks can be, there's a variety of tasks you can do. And I suppose that's one of the things that attracted me the most was the variety in the day-to-day. Um, your organic farming is what it is. Cattle are fed and whatnot and the day is done, you know, but... The day in property, there's always something new. There's always some challenge that will come up that you have to overcome. 
just to move the process along and, and, and to get the sale achieved, you know, so. Kevin, that's so interesting. Yeah. Organic farming must be very different to traditional farming because it has never been my experience growing okay, up on a farm yeah. that the day okay. was ever done. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, it's, it's actually something that has carried into our business. So uh, even though yeah. it's a professional services business that we run, it's run as a farm. Yeah, That's a really interesting uh, perspective on it. But it is, it is, I think it's really important for the industry to think about how it can be more attractive for the next generation of talent. Do you know what I think is, is, is really interesting too? Is like your diverse background makes you even more attractive of a hire. You have a sales experience, you've worked in organic farming, those type of dynamic people. I think make the best colleagues anyway and then in, in particular professions they, they can hone down skill sets that say a traditional trained background and coming from say a legal background you have people who are excellent in school, excellent in college, excellent in the law society and become excellent lawyers but they're terrible salespeople, terrible at business development you yeah, know yeah. but they're excellent lawyers so the most dynamic people tend to be the best. I'm curious uh, passion with the industry, with this apprenticeship, we're going to start seeing a lot more different uh, people entering the profession. Will it make hiring a little different? Will you know if somebody has an apprenticeship with their qualification, or somebody that went down the classical route of getting educated and then stepped into your door? They're going to know very little. They'll yeah. have the piece of paper and they'll have the education behind them, but they won't know how to maybe answer a phone or yeah. win a piece of business like. I, I often say that about my own education. So I did four years straight out of school into property. I wanted to do that, and I decided I'd, 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 I would do it. Um, and I came out of that four years with loads of paperwork experience and, and, and knowledge, but very little practical experience. Um, as you say, how to answer a phone, how to talk to a vendor, how to, how to negotiate. None of that can really be relayed in the classroom. Um, so in terms of... In terms of the changing dynamic, where we see the apprenticeship um, adding a lot of value is there's lots of people out there who, as you say, have got some great life skills, such like, like Kevin, who, who's, who's, who's able to deal with people and, and actually has that skill, which is, for me, more important than, you know, you can, the two-year apprenticeship will give you the learned skills you need about the background of valuations and law. You can learn that if someone is, 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 is interested in it, they, they will pick up the, the, the theory. It's the practical and the person that I think in property is probably the most important element to start with mm -hmm. to, as a starting block, that you're a sort of person that people will trust, people will get on with, people will, will listen to, and people will take your advice because the, the big part of being in this business is giving your advice to both buyers and vendors. I yeah. know now, uh, we have clients, I speak to on a daily basis, that hiring is difficult. Finding the right people for their, their role is difficult. And when they find the right person, trying to keep them. And I have a client in Watford who has a professional footballer on his staff. And he lets him work one day a week, doing some work in the office, while he gets his education, but is still a professional footballer. Because he knows that career is short-lived. And he goes, this guy's excellent, and I want to keep him. And he's, he's sort of doing that doing what you guys formally put in place to make sure this guy has the skills necessary for once he steps into the office with his qualification, he can hit the ground running. I think it's an excellent way of starting to bring that life and professional experience with the added level of qualification into the industry. Yeah. And it'll bring the industry on a hockey curve upwards, you know? Yeah, well, it will, but only if the industry itself is self-sustaining. You know, we've talked about it here at the race to the bottom. We've had a conversation around marketing fees. Um, you know, I, I, I genuinely think the industry itself has a problem that it is not 
making itself self-sustaining. It's almost eating it's part of the process. You'll have people like Kevin come in with your background and say, well, organic farming is, we can't keep cutting the prices because organic farming is more labor intensive. You can't use toxins and, you know, so it's more expensive. And these sort of people will enter the industry and start, you know, breaking the status quo and say, no, hang on a second. I won't race to the bottom. I won't eliminate my marketing fee. I'll look for more for marketing. I'll up my fees. This sort of stuff will start pushing the boundaries with, you know, with bosses and saying, look, this is the way we're going to run things. Can that work, Kevin? <laughs> I, I, want, I want that to be yeah. the case. So, like, is there an appetite? Is there a realisation among your cohort? Okay, listen, why are we doing it like this? This is... Do you see... Do you see things that could be changed, you know, with a new perspective? And Look, I suppose I imagine for myself, what am I now, nearly three years in the industry, and I suppose it's been a lot of learning over those two years, three years now coming up, so I guess it would really, to be fair. So it takes a little while to get your feet under the table to actually yeah. see how it works? Exactly, so it does, So you can break yeah. it and make it better again. Just, yeah, I suppose, as you say, it goes back to having the confidence and the experience behind you yeah. as well. And, and for me, even I'm learning every day, even still, mm. you know, um, it's one of those that over time, I think eventually you could see that happen. For I, sure, I think it's a really good point, getting yeah. that confidence, because it's those sort of voices who will change the industry. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. and there is an issue around, around fees, and, uh, and I'd be a, a big proponent or, 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 or voice in, in terms of the fees for agents. I, I'd say to agents, we talk to agents daily, and it's a big part of our job, is the fees are going to a level that is unsustainable in the long term. And you have to look at are are you are you profitable at the end of the year? Are you able to make make ends meet? Um, when we started out twelve ish years ago, the fees were maybe two ish percent, one and a half, and then maybe down to one in Dublin. You know, in some in some areas. Whereas now it's it's almost one percent in most areas, one and a half if you're lucky. Uh, so it's gone from kind of one and a half to two to probably one to. I've seen it drop below one percent where there's new entrants coming into a small market and it is such short-term thinking yeah. and it doesn't serve it doesn't serve buyers, it doesn't serve sellers. And I think there's a conversation that needs to happen where actually the industry or consumers need to understand that if they want uh, a streamless property transaction, then that requires technology, it requires educated people, it requires processes and efficiencies that actually demand investment and yeah. i think um it, and i've probably seen it more from the perspective of prop tech and seeing really good innovations not be adopted because there's no margin to adopt it and if we are in an industry that isn't leaving itself enough room to invest in improvement that's not a sustainable industry yeah what, what i think will happen and it's only my own musings is that you will see forward thinking like you guys bringing in this business and taking on apprentices with life skills that are very transferable, you'll dominate and the people that won't change will fall away. I'm seeing agents immediately negotiate away their marketing fee for fear of losing an instruction. And then also that instruction staying on their books for six, eight, nine months and it being a loss leader. Yeah. So, you know, cutting their nose off despite their face yeah, often. It, and again, but the problem is this this race to the bottom, and it usually is new entrants coming into yeah. what they see as a crowded marketplace. And you know, actually, just this morning, um, just this morning, I I was interviewing an estate agent in North Dublin, and we actually talked about how in the, estate agents within their individual marketplaces they know the nuanced supply and demand. Not only do they know. Uh, every property that's on the market and what's likely to be coming into the pipeline because they're out meeting and valuing properties but in terms of demand they don't just know demand the way I spout off figures from 
uh, various reports. It's actually more that they know the couple. They know when they got they got uh, their finance. They know how long it's in place for. They've walked with them through other properties, so they've seen what delights them and they've seen what disappoints them. So they know they when they know say they know the demand in a local place. They know the demand, and I think technology can do a huge amount. And I'm a huge proponent of it. But every so often I am reminded about the human aspect and I think estate agents have some human skills here. Usually they're very deep, intimate knowledge of the marketplace and who's buying and who's selling, who's likely to be buying and who's likely to be selling over the next 12 months. And they don't leverage that enough at all. They don't use it to their advantage. They don't, they do, they're not uh, positioning themselves as the local experts. Estate is, agents were always seen as the local experts yeah. in a property and is, is that, they don't do it anymore. Is there is there a correlation between what Carl is saying and your clients? So you've th over three hundred partner agents now that that you're doing a wonderful service for, but there's another twelve hundred, thirteen hundred agents out there who aren't using. But what type of agent uses I am sold? And yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, a bit of it is agents we've had the time to interact with and meet and to, to, to we're actually, we've hired um, a, new, a new business developer. So we've always done it in-house with some of the staff and actually we need to get specialised business developers. So we, for the first time, we've got someone just, just doing that role from Dublin, mm -hmm. Colm Egan, who started with us last year. Um, a big part of it is awareness. Um, I think most agents are aware of us. But a bit like you, Carl, you're saying with the, the, the agents understanding something, they probably don't really understand us. They know we do online bidding and auctions and they know maybe some other agents who use us, but they probably don't fully understand what we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's our challenge. Maybe that's one of our biggest challenges, getting more that message. More visibility and, and around your business and what you're doing and stuff like that. Yeah, and sitting down. the more down. stock you have, I'm sure, like it'll be up there. They'll see it. They'll see it yeah, as there. it grows and as they see the successes. And we're, we're seeing, you know, I think a lot of agents and maybe vendors have a, uh, maybe a, a misconception around what you know types of properties should sell by auction but we're now seeing all types of properties we're seeing um we're seeing nice family homes we're seeing the doer uppers as we always did we're seeing commercial properties so it's probably an understanding of what our process is and why it works for all types of properties and, and why does it work for all types of properties because traditionally it would have been those large estates or larger homes yeah so yeah. so we're flexible um because a lot of properties are selling before they ever go to auction we're not excluding your first-time buyer who won't go to that auction in a month's time or two months time because they just won't know what they can bid or what it will bid to whereas if that first time buyer come to us today and say look i'd buy it for 500 um that's my budget could you put that forward to the owner we absolutely will the owner mm. might say 510 515 there might be an element of of negotiation but if they're given the go the green light to try and buy that before it goes to auction they still need to get their legals checked as quick as they can they have to have their funds in place and go to their bank with the that we're buying this at 515 um but that, ha that tends to happen and they seem to have the comfort to do that because they know the owners will do a deal with them at 5.15 before cost auction, but they need to have their bid in before that, you know, yeah. before that date or ideally a couple of weeks before that date. So we'll work with them to give them that flexibility and, um, and that's, what, that's a big part of it. So, so no longer are we just dealing with the cash buyers and the, the problem properties. We're dealing with yeah, the, the cash buyers, problem properties, as well as family homes, as well as... That's a classic case of then the market demanding what you're doing and then forcing the the other agents consider this as a, as a route to selling their property. Yeah. Because before, if I'm not wrong, before these tools were available, the auction would have been run by the agent, you know, on the rostrum, is, is, you know? Yeah, for the odd one that did auctions, not a lot of agents did actually auctions because it, again, it is a specialised end of the market and not necessarily suited to all properties. If you're, if you're, if you're running an auction in a local hotel or, or function hall, um, 
you're really going to auction on that date. Are you putting that nice family home into that auction? Probably not. They're probably never going that way. Will they use our platform for it? They, they may do if the vendor would like a faster streamlined process. Mm. So that's the difference, I suppose, is that traditionally, even though auctioneers had the option of going to auction, they, 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 they wouldn't do it with a big percentage of their properties. Whereas now with our platform, it's more vendor-led. Would the vendor like a faster process? Would the vendor like a, a more secure process? And if they would, then this is an option for them. Um, sorry, Joe, I apologize. Yeah. I mean, they're just because I'm curious and I'm conscious of time as well. Uh, one of the barriers to options is not about the vendors, it's about the purchasers and them being supported by mortgage. And I know it's something we've discussed many times here in the past. And every time I speak to a mortgage broker or a bank, they will always tell me that the banks support that. But when we speak to buyers, that's not the reality on the ground. So have you a breakdown in terms of the properties your 48% that does go yeah. uh, to auction, what oh, breakdown of those our mortgage. are mortgage? <laughs> That's a good question. I know our breakdown overall, which is just under 60% but now. But 52% are being sold prior to auction, it's a slightly different process. Yeah, and, and it's true. And actually, that's probably a, a, a bit of data that would be interesting. We'll take a little bit of work to get there because we don't have the process in place to, yeah. to calculate that. I, I'm going to give you a guesstimate. It's going to be a good bit less. So our average is, is probably 60%, well, sorry, it's just under 60% overall of ones that are sold pre and at auction. At auction, I'm going to say a lot less. Um, I, I, I'm going to say more like 10 to 20%, something in that range so of the ones that can, are at auction. How can we get the banks and the mortgage providers to step up and deliver on what they say they're doing? How can we actually make it so that home buyers feel confident, um, mortgage home buyers feel confident bidding at auction? It's challenging. Um, I suppose the first biggest challenge will be they don't know what their purchase price is going to be. So they have to go to the bank to say, I'm going to bid on this property at auction. Unless they have a very big budget that they, they know they're well within it, they, they, um, they, they don't know what they're going to spend on the property. So that's one challenge, I suppose. And if they're marginal on, you know, I suppose what they can definitely borrow, because they can get their loan on, or they can get their agreement of principle, doesn't, and they can get it for 515. They would still need to go to the bank to make sure that 515 is definitely there, mm. um, number one. And then number two, the challenge around the growing demand of the banks in terms of the legal paperwork, I suppose. Um, so that's been a challenge and that is a challenge. So whatever the banks want becomes uh, what a property needs, I suppose. Um, and I suppose getting those legal packs better organized and, and, and streamlined is a challenge for the market as well. So um, the solicitor needs to be very comfortable that they have everything that the bank could or may want in order for them to to, 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 to allow the client to draw down that, that, that the funds. So the solicitor side of things and the legal pack side of things has to be maybe a little clearer as well because it, it, is, uh, it is challenging for a solicitor to say, yes, you're 100% confident that you can bid on this property, you can put down your 10%, which is a contract deposit, non-refundable, and the banks will lend. So what do we need to do? I think those two things is, is, is more certainty on that funds are available and maybe more certainty around the legal pack um, as to what the bank require and 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 yeah i suppose that that that's a bit of a gray area at times that feels like but that genuinely feels like a solvable problem that actually we can see the tightening up of the legal sellers pack not just through i am sold but actually through uh, the new sellers legal pack bill um hopefully will be enacted in 2024 again we really want the industry to treat that uh, as if it is in now so that we're all striving for best practice and um, but that feels like a, a disconnect that that should be easy enough to connect and i 
just wonder is the motivation missing to do that and is that something that you champion yourself yeah so so there's definitely a challenge within the banking side of things and the mortgage side of things it is taking quite a long time and that time is actually another factor that if there's a if there's an auction in two weeks time and the buyer sees a property today they're, they're very likely to bid on that property mm -hmm. they'd need quite a bit more time to maybe get themselves fully happy with the bank um historically we've one of the challenges within the irish market is there's a lot of baggage within the planning and the property and the legal side of things. We're not like the UK where they have had it very streamlined for, for a very long time and it's simple enough process. Um, so there is that challenge, even though, Carl, you're right in saying on the face of it, having a legal pack ready, that should be straightforward enough. But the challenge we have then is you could have a right of way along the back boundary of a country property. Will the bank see that as an issue? Will they not? Actually, we don't know until we go to the bank and they decide mm. on a given day. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of grey areas that in certain properties will throw up as a oh well really we'd want to get this sanctioned by the bank. So maybe we need a lot more clarity around mm -hmm. what is allowable and what is not um, for certain properties that might have tweaks or quirks. And I would suggest the other thing we need is a lot more competition in the Irish sure. marketplace yeah. across mortgages because it is ridiculous in 2024 that we have a contracting yeah. mortgage market. It just doesn't make sense. But look, there's only so many problems we can solve today. Um, I am conscious that we do need to wrap up. Um, Patrick, just, I suppose, for finally, thank you so much for allowing us into the And thank you, Carl, for, for coming it's, in. Yeah, it's great to have you. Beautiful, yeah. very impressive. Um, just maybe for people who are thinking of potentially buying or selling in 2024, what are your expectations? So again, uh, interesting year ahead. Um, interest rates have obviously gone up hugely in the last year, 18 months. That's providing an element of suppression to the market. But appetite seems to be there. You, you come into January and you think, how are we going to go? This is going to be interesting to see how, how we're going. Inquiries are way up in January. Um, I know Emmett, you said and similar stockpiles. Before we went on air, that um, we've had a 36% increase year on year for January from the 1st to the 16th of January, and it's our best year in 16 years. Is that an increase in inquiries? An increase in stock it's going on to the, the DAT platform. So how far in advance would you guys list with us with that before you go to auction? Uh, it, it's case by case. Yeah. On average, a property sold within six weeks. So you can say it's probably so, sometime around the six-week mark, but it's case by case. Some properties will be gone in a week or two because there's been a flurry of interest and, and the, you know, bids have come in and at do the you owners. Have a, do you have, say, we'll put it up and we'll have the auction in... Three months or yeah, no. Generally, what we do is we put the property live under pre-auction marketing, where we don't have a date set, oh, and see, then yeah. give it an, a few weeks of of um, marketing to assess the interest. I suppose mm -hmm. if there's lots of interest, then you set a date for maybe two weeks time, etc. If there's not a lot of interest and in your deal with one or two, you're probably giving it another bit of time to see where are we with this one or two. Are they going to bid on it, and maybe it'll be sold before we ever go to auction, or are we going to build momentum, and is there going to be? A, is there a sweet spot? Do you think like if other agents are listening? to this they'd be like I'd really like to know if there's a sweet spot where I should put it up for a couple of weeks before I set the date or yeah. is it really on you measure on inquiries no, I think the question you're asking is if there's one you're very confident is going to be like sometimes we get a, a you know a, a farm of land you could have 50 acres and there, we know there's going to be good appetite because the local agent 
knows and has as Karen said earlier really understands the buying pool um, so we're saying what's the sweet spot for that it's between four to six weeks at uh, six weeks is probably closer to right I think um, mm. particularly if there was maybe a building on it or something like that to give it a bit more time for research around you know the, the, the buyers research around the legal pack around that but four weeks for just land six weeks if there's a building on it is probably oh, about right Super. Thanks a million, Patrick. As always, I always appreciate Thank your you insights. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Kevin, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you. It's, it's so exciting to see the next generation of talent coming in and hopefully shaking up the market. And I suppose the most important thing uh, I, I would like to know now, because you're three years or in your third year into this journey, would you recommend it to a friend? Would you recommend a career in property to a friend? I would, absolutely, yeah. And I know I kind of came a non-traditional route some ways, but absolutely, you know, it is... It's very rewarding, it's a challenging career, but no two days are the same and it's full of variety, so I absolutely would recommend it. Fantastic, and I promise you I'm willing to commit to a knowledge share of sharing any property tips I might have picked up along the way in exchange for organic farming. Very good, (laughs) yeah. If you're happy to enter into that kind of a deal, I would be delighted. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. And Emmett, as always, I'm so delighted you were able to join us today. I, I feel like... We've touched on so many topics, just scratching the surface of yeah, topics that 100%, yeah. are really bigger conversations that the industry needs to have and they're not having and there's no one really to facilitate those conversations. I know, uh, similar to Patrick speaking to 300 agents, I know you spend your time speaking to agents. We've touched on some of the problems. What are the biggest problems that we need to focus on for a state agents in 2024? I think one thing that comes up constantly with the agents I'm talking to, well, just a bit of feedback on our show. I, I get a lot of feedback per week on the show and they're like, these are the nuggets I want to hear on the next one. So if I'm asking a couple of questions that are agent specific, they're asking me to ask you. Agents love to know the little bits, the little nuggets they can take home. So we'll continue to do that. But one thing that comes up constantly is, how do we increase fees and it's not something like daft can do or you know but the knowledge share as carol puts it is is the best way to do it and marketing seems like the easiest win at the moment it's like educate the the public on if you market your property effectively you'll get more bids more offers and then the estate agent can work their magic and increase that price and that's what everybody's looking for a faster sale and more money so uh, for that property using a tool like i am sold getting it through the market, like you guys have phenomenal numbers, getting it through in three months, a legal pack in 21 days, this stuff is like, it's, it's market leading kind of stuff, you know? And with the, the iPad bill making its way through the government at the moment, and fingers crossed that comes to fruition by the end of the year, we're looking at a new market next year. So speed, marketing, fees, these are the key topics, winning more business. I mean, our raison d'etre within DAF over the next years, how do we help our clients win more instructions? How do we use our technology and marketing expertise to funnel that back to our clients to figure out how do we make them a, a bigger business next year? And as I said, really good green shoots for January. Best year in 16 years after quite a tough year last year for clients and agents. Um, this year is looking like it's going to be much better. Hopefully so. And I know we'll have plenty of opportunity to discuss it because we're going to be meeting at least once a month at various places. Today we're in Galway. Last time we were in Kildare. Uh, we've been in Dublin. I know we're heading to West Cork, so West I'm really Cork, excited. Yeah. So if there's any agents around the country that would like us uh, on our road trip to, to drop into the office, my only requirement is that you have good coffee. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm willing to bring my own if necessary. That's all we've time for today. Um, thank you so much to Patrick Folan and Kevin Hassett from the I Am, I Am Sold team and also to the rest of the team who are behind the glass 
being very well behaved and I hope we're not uh, disturbing their lunch we're, break or anything like that. We're keeping a close eye on us, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for allowing us to disrupt your office today and as always, special word thanks to my co-host, Emmett Crichton, uh, Client Partnership Director with DAFT, Ireland's most visited property website. Finally, thanks to our producer who's sitting very quietly at the end of the table, Katie Talon, and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media who will sort out all the sound issues after after the event. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Property Roundup here on iProperty Radio.